Our scripture reading today is from the book of Jude. We'll start in verse 17, and we're reading to verse 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. All right, morning again. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonehouse Church, and uh, we're glad to see you. If you're new with us, I mentioned earlier, we've got a connect card towards the back where you can fill out with some information, let us know who you are. Uh, more than anything, we want you to know who we are. Uh, we're a group of, uh, man, rough sinners that God is giving grace on a regular basis, amen. Uh, we do not come together as a people... Uh, uh, thinking in any way, shape, or form that we have perfection to offer anyone, um, but rather we have uh, lives, hopefully, that point towards a perfect Savior because we need Him again and again, just as we finished singing a minute ago. Uh, we hope that we are a place that you can come and kind of dig into the gospel and, and really seek to understand what it is that we're teaching and, and preaching about when we come to God's Word. Uh, and that all of the doubts and the fears and the questions that you might wrestle with when it comes to faith, that you're free uh, to wrestle with those things here. Um, it's a large part of why we exist as a church. We want to help people who are seeking God uh, really find the beauty of Jesus and what he's done. Uh, and so our hope is that you would see Jesus through everything that we do, um, even when we mess up, that you would see as we point to our perfect Savior, the one who redeems us. Um, and so together we've been on a journey the last couple of weeks looking at uh, the, the life of a, an Old Testament prophet named Daniel. And if you've been with us, you might be a little thrown off as to why we just read Jude. We'll get to that in a minute. But this, um, this kind of series that we've been looking at is largely just an effort of seeing what it is that God has for the church that he built um, in this time and in this place, that what is it that God would lead us as followers of Jesus to do in the midst of a world that uh, is increasingly denying who he is uh, and is increasingly turning away from his word as foundation for life um, and is increasingly rejecting the claims of Christ uh, as the Son of God. And so what is it that we as a people should do? And the reason we looked at Daniel uh, is because we see a lot of similarities in our life and time uh, to the life of Daniel. He was a follower of God who was kind of snatched away from his home. Uh, he was planted into a kingdom that did not believe the things that he was raised to believe. Uh, he was uh, put into the service of a godless king uh, who was quite a megalomaniac. He was uh, uh, flippant with his words, and, and he, would, he would just decide to murder people randomly and, and, and burn their houses down and, and just all sorts of uh, crazy things going on. And Daniel was, was called by God into this time to actually serve that king uh, and advance uh, the, the, the kingdom of that king, which seems often a, a kind of a contrary thing to what we often think about a servant of God doing. <clears throat> and so we understand that we too have been sent by God into this place, um, that though we know that our time and our place, our, our country, so to say, kind of the, the culture that we live in uh, is not a place that teaches largely what the scriptures teach us. Um, that we are often pulled uh, away from faithfulness to God towards living uh, for ourselves or living for fame or for comfort or for uh, riches, that we are to, 
to, to seek the good of the self rather than the good of others, like Scripture would call us to. So we, we find ourselves in this strange place that is not home at all, and so we see a lot of similarities uh, to Daniel's life. Um, but in the next couple of weeks, we're kind of taking a bit of a turn. We've just got four weeks left. Uh, the next three weeks, we're going to spend taking a look at kind of characteristics of the community that God is making in the midst of uh, kind of this, this world gone wrong, right? Uh, and one of the, the chief differences between Daniel's life and our life is that in Daniel's world, there was a prophecy that said this captivity, while it's going to go on for a while, eventually it's going to end. I'm going to finish the time of the exile, and then I'm going to bring, God spoke to his people, said, I'm going to bring you back to Israel. I'm going to bring you back to your homeland, and you're, you'll no longer dwell in that wicked kingdom. There was kind of that ending in mind uh, in the life of Daniel, and there was no, um, no 100% permanence in that place. Well, we don't have that kind of a thing uh, when it comes to looking at this world, right? So we don't have a hope that says, you're going to end up with your own little home in this world. I'm going to take you out of the bad part of this world and give you your own little home in this world. We have a future eternal hope that God says one day all of the wickedness of the world will end. Every tear will stop. I will put to, to uh, death all things that are evil, and I will raise up all things that are righteous. We know that there will be a final eternal home, but we don't have what Daniel and his people had, and that is that one day in this life of this people, I'm going to bring them back home. What we have instead is Jesus proclaiming to his disciples and then therefore to us that follow after his disciples where he says, go and spread the good news of the kingdom so that the kingdom can invade that world that you're being sent to. We have the promise of a hope that Jesus said, I will make things new even in the mess of the world that I'm sending you into. We have what Daniel didn't have, and that is the church. We have the church, and we have the command of Jesus to stay where we're at and not just hope for that one day eternal home, but to actually do something here and now by being made into a people of God to exemplify and to glorify God in the midst of this world and not just look to get out of here, not just look to escape. And so we know that God has sent us, like Daniel was sent, into uh, Babylon. We've been sent into our Babylon, so to say, into this world. But we've been sent to embed and to stay and then to build a kingdom outpost that would communicate something of the glory of God to a world that is longing for something, even though it doesn't quite know what it is that it's longing for. And so this is why we see the need to be the church. Um, we see the need for churches here. We see the need for churches everywhere because we see that God's kingdom has no boundaries, that it has no linguistic limits, uh, that it has no socioeconomic limits, that it has no uh, uh, national boundaries or borders, but that God's kingdom is to spread and to grow and to increase in all places at all times through God's people, and that the church is that kingdom uh, moving forward, is God moving his kingdom forward. Um, and so we believe in the church. We believe in setting up churches. We believe in churches being faithful to Scripture and to discipling believers and into sending more believers out to see more churches started. Because so long as the population is growing and so long as uh, there are people breathing, there is a need for a faithful witness in every single community underneath the stars and the sun to see uh, a, an example, a living, breathing testimony to the, the glory of God in a community uh, that can be seen by people who do not know who God is. And so we want to see churches started, and that's why we're here as a church. That's why this church was started once upon a time, and that's why we uh, continue to want to be a part of other churches starting in other places. Um, one of the things, and this is just a small little plug, uh, we're not a denominationally connected church, but we are connected to a network that does church planting all over the world. Um, that network is called Acts 29, and just recently they released their annual report um, for last year, 
um, for 2017. Um, and you can look that up on their website. It's actually a digital report. You could walk through it on your phone really easily. Um, a lot of cool pictures and data and information about churches being planted and pastors being trained um, and impact happening all over the globe. Uh, so you can check that out at www.acts29, that's the number 29.com, uh, then slash annual report 2018. Um, I'd encourage you to look at it. It's encouraging. It's, it's, uh, it's inspiring to see what is... Uh, happening. Uh, just this last year, Acts 29 started a network in the Middle East, um, which is just baller. I think that's amazing. And I love that we're planting churches in the Middle East. Um, very excited about that. Uh, one church I know that uh, was started in Turkey a couple of years ago uh, was highlighted throughout 2017. So I think there's some stories about that church as well. Um, but we're really all about seeing God's kingdom increase and seeing that happen through the planting of more churches. Um, so one of the questions that we have to ask then as we're journeying through this kind of process of looking at mission through the lenses of uh, Daniel's life is if we do what uh, we see as faithful uh, in our time and in our place, what, what's, our, what's our end hope, right? And, and we did talk about this, we have talked about this in the, the different weeks of the series, but what we need to see is that ultimately our hope is that people would encounter Jesus through our lives as he works to make himself known, right? And so we ultimately hope for people to encounter the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, the work that he did, the truth that he spoke, ultimately his death and resurrection, so that they too might come and know the true king and bow their knee and worship the one who's been sent to reconcile them to God. And so the hope really in the midst of all of this thing is that, is that through our lives, not just individually, but also corporately, that we would engage in life in such a way that would actually show people the kindness of our God, that they would genuinely experience the, the warmth of God and the compassion of God and the healing of God and, and, and just the, the, the disposition of God toward them through our engagement with them, right? And that as we uh, seek to, to love people and to understand their language and communicate the hope of the gospel in a, in a language that they can understand, all these different things that we've talked about, eventually, and this, we're, we're unashamed about this reality, eventually we want people to come here and to join this community to be a part of what God is doing to make himself known to others, right? And that's not a self-aggrandizement statement. That's not just a we want to be all that and a bag of chips so that we can be all that, right? We want to have a big name and lights and put on a great show. The ultimate hope is that people would come and taste and see the goodness of God that we have tasted and seen and that they can genuinely experience that through our hands and feet, through our interaction, and that they can see the grace that we have seen and see that grace change their hearts and their lives. And so this uh, couple weeks of, of kind of a little bit of a change in this series is going to look at some of these different aspects of what it looks like to be a community that's a new kind of community that God is using to uh, exemplify himself to a world around us. So a lot of what we've talked about to this point has kind of been the, the go out there and, 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 and live our lives in the world and, and how are we to conduct ourselves out there. The next few weeks are going to kind of look, take a look more at, at what are we to be like? What are we to be like here in these moments? What are we to be like as a, as a people kind of uh, loosely connected through all of life and different environments and opportunities that we have around our city? What, what are the things that we should engage in? How should, how should we conduct ourselves? What should our interactions with one another look like so that they display the faithfulness and the grace of a kind and loving God? And so this week we're going to talk about what it takes to see healing happen in people's lives. And next week we're going to talk about uh, compassion and seeking justice um, as a community, as a people. And then our final week in this kind of little subsection of weeks is going to take a look at just uh, what it means to embrace diversity. What, it, what does it mean to look like uh, the community that we're in? Uh, what does it mean to, to see more and more people included in this great story that God is telling? Uh, and so most of this, uh, these three weeks, we're going to... Um, 
take a, a, a bit of a page from uh, the New Testament to talk about some of these things. So that's why we're not really in Daniel uh, for the next couple weeks. Um, that's why we're in Jude this week. So uh, I'm going to read our, our verses again that Nathan read just a minute ago, Jude 17 to 25. Um, and if you're curious, no, there is no chapter. It is one chapter. Jude is one of the uh, two books that has only one chapter. So it's not Jude 1, 17 to 25. It's just Jude 17 to 25. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to pray, and we'll dig in. So here it is again, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for this moment. We are, um, we are undeserving to even uh, call on you and to know that you hear us, um, but Jesus has made it possible for us to, uh, to commune or to fellowship or to have relationship with you, our creator, again. And so in his name, we come before you not looking to our own merits to earn our right to be here, but rather we look to the merits of Jesus who has, has earned our right uh, for us here. Um, we stand in his name before you asking, God, that you would... You would soften our hearts and show us the grace that we've been given. God, that we would understand as a people uh, how it is that we've been loved by you. Uh, and that, that love that is so tender, it's so compassionate, it's so compelling, uh, that that love would do more than just fill our heads with information, but it would actually lead toward life transformation. Um, that you would make us into a people that can be a part of the healing that people in our world need, people in our very own city here. And God, that you would put together a body, a new kind of people in the midst of this city, not a kind of people that are after their own fame, but a kind of people that are after the fame of Jesus because we know that he is the healer, that he is the redeemer. And so we ask that you do the work to restore not only us, but that through our lives, there would be restoration in the lives of many others, God. We know this is too much for us. That's why we come to you asking for it, that you would have compassion on the world around us and move in our lives. God, today, above all things, I pray that you would help us to see uh, who it is that Jesus is and what it is that he has done for us and for the world around us so that we might be moved by him and made new um, to be this kind of community that testifies to his truth. We love you, and we thank you for all these things, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting over being sick. <clears throat> Hopefully the throat holds up today. God, we need you. All right, so um, one, of the, uh, one of the very evident things, if you've lived for a little while, <laughs> is that people hurt. Um, and... And when we look at kind of Daniel and his friends' experience in Babylon, so much of it feels like it's, it's, it's kind of two hostilities against each other. It kind of feels like there's a hostile land that's taken over another land, and then that, that has created hostility between, uh, between peoples. And when you look around yourself at the world around you, you might often find that's a, a similar kind of feeling, that there's just plain hostility, right? That there's, there's groups at war, you know, that, that there's, there's factions and, and fractions and, and just all these things that are, that are broken and divided and that often cause uh, people just to, to war against one another. 
You know, maybe you've even experienced this in your family where there's, there's been togetherness and then a thing has happened, right? It was that thing, right? The, the great storm of 89. It was that, that moment that, that came that, that brought division even in your family. Or maybe you experienced that with friends or have seen that in a workplace. But so much of this kind of hostility in our world is birthed out of just simply pain that's been experienced by people through other people or even internal pain. That so many of these kind of broken fractures that exist in our society are the result of people not knowing to, what to do with the brokenness in their own life, right? And often we, we kind of turn inward. We start to, to, uh, to insulate ourselves, to try to, to heal ourselves from our wounds and, and give ourselves distance, or we find healing, or we think we find healing, or we think we find a reason for living within a certain section of our culture and our, our, our space, and so we begin to, to immerse ourselves in one area of life, all the while thinking that everybody that's in one of those other areas is bad and against me, and therefore I've got to keep myself away from them, and we just, we see this cycle perpetuate itself again and again, where where, where hurt happens and hurt people hurt people. I know it's cliche and I hate cliches, but we, we do this, we're wounded, and so we create more wounds because of that. And all of the, the while, our world is telling us about how to get better, right? We've got We've got all sorts of truisms out there, all sorts of healing mechanisms, all sorts of, of ways to get better and to, to heal things and to, to solve the internal conflicts that are in us. You know, some say you just got to believe in yourself and love yourself and then everything will be, get better. And we all know that self is really a bad solution because self is ultimately what got us into the trouble in the first place. And then we have others that would say, you know, uh, following certain types of patterns and, and ways of behaving, that's the way that you get yourself out of the trouble you're in and the healing. And so our world proclaims all of these different ways to get better. And some of the world just simply says, ignore it, right? <laughs> just go laugh or just go have fun or just go drink that or just go experience that and just forget it. We just need a moment to all let go of our troubles and just let them, you know, act like they're not there. And that's great for a night, right? And then you wake up and the trouble didn't go anywhere. It's still there. In fact, it may be worse because you ignored it for a little while and it was able to compound and get worse. And so amidst all of this, we don't have the same hope of the world, right? We don't have the same hopes that the world has. We look at the solutions that the world offers and we go, you know what? Self-esteem isn't the great answer for humanity. We know that that's not going to solve everything. We know that certain meditations or certain medications aren't the things that are going to solve this all for us. The ultimate hope that we always have and that we always want to point other people to is that Jesus has come to heal the deepest hurt, which is a schism between us and our Creator. And that all of the other brokennesses in our lives are a manifestation of that one great brokenness. Because we were created by God to know him and to fellowship with him, and yet we've been broken from that relationship. And as a result, all of our lives have fallen apart. And so our great hope in this world as followers of Jesus is that more people would know Jesus. That more people would know what it really means for him to be the Son of God. That more people would really understand that his perfect life matters for us that him being 100% in fellowship with God the Father for the entirety of his life, never breaking a commandment and never breaking fellowship with God, that that matters for us. And the fact that the most innocent, the most pure, the most righteous, the most holy one who has ever lived was thrown on a cross and brutally murdered as if he was a murderer himself, that that matters for us. Because in that moment, at that cross, we see the intersection of our sin and his righteousness where God gives us what Jesus has done and takes away what we have done. We want people to know that Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection is the key to being healed. And to set up that kind of hope, God has sent his son to create a people who would communicate that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so in that reality, we have a couple of things that we want to see God develop amongst us as a people. The first thing is that God would develop amongst us uh, the knowledge of the truth of a biblical doctrine of grace. 
that God would teach us again and again through his word gospel doctrine, right? That's why time in and time out, typically we kind of walk through books of the Bible here at Stonehouse, and no matter where we find ourselves, we always find ourselves connected to the greater story of what God has done, the greater story of the gospel. And so we uh, work painstakingly to establish in this church a gospel doctrine. Another thing that we need to see established is a gospel culture. We'll get to that in just a minute. And we know that those two things combine together, a hope of meeting Jesus and knowing what he has done and building a culture of people who understand that work can lead towards people being healed and restored by Jesus. And so the gospel, we say it week in and week out, is a great story of what God has done. It begins with the story of creation. The gospel always starts at very good, right? We read this several weeks ago. We went through Genesis 1, uh, and we talked about how God made things, and he called it good, and he made more things, and he called them good, and he made more things, and then he made man and woman, and he called that very good, right? The gospel begins with the very good of God. It always starts there. It starts with creation and intent and glory in what God has made. And we know that in his creation, he has revealed his own power and glory, right? We see when we look around us just the magnificence of God, right? I'm, I'm, me and my wife's uh, Netflix list right now is uh, 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 Planet Earth 2. So it's like 10 years after Planet Earth 1. And if you haven't seen Planet Earth 2 yet, I highly encourage you to watch that. It is stunning. Uh, the camera technology and the ability to capture things in 10 years has gone light years beyond uh, what it was. And we were watching this one moment, and I think it was in a rainforest, and there was this little bug, and it, like, glowed. <laughs> and, like, it just ran along the ground, in the jungle, where no one will ever see it, except the planet Earth 2 people. Uh, and, and it just, it like glows. And that's it. It just walks along the ground and glows. It's like, wow, that's crazy. And I said out loud, because I was kind of marveling, I'm like, what is that for? You know, and my wife repeated, because we were marveling together, she's like, because God can. You know, that this, this little bug that can glow green just exists for God's glory. Because God can make that kind of a thing. And he knows how to make it, and he knows why he made it, and it's just spectacular, right? And so planet Earth 2, the glory of God. Um, <laughs> but there's reason behind creation. And like we see, man, we're all longing for this so much, right? We're like, I, there must be a reason I'm here, right? Our world just, just screams this again and again. There's got to be a reason that I'm here. I've got to have some kind of a greater purpose, Right? And the creation of God, the beauty of the gospel is that it points us to an utmost greatest reason, and that is the glory of God, that all things were made to reveal and to point to and to give glory to the creator, and that that is purpose enough for everything because he is just spectacular. His capacities and his power, his wisdom and his might are unmatched and will never be seen again because he is unique in himself. And what he has done to reveal that glory is absolutely splendid. So we know that the gospel is the real story of our purposed creation, that God originally created very good and that the very good of God's creation points to his glory. But we also know that the gospel is the true story of how we are inherently prone since Adam's fall to glory in the wrong things, right? Wrong things, right? We were created to glory in God, but because of the brokenness of our sin, we are prone to glory in things that are other than God, to small g gods or idols. We talk about these different things at different times here. We seek significance in ways that are not attached to the glory of God. Most of the time, at the end of the day, when you boil it down, we seek our own significance. Apart from he who's made us, we seek to set ourselves up as glorious. That's just the human condition. We fall short of God's glory, and so we look around and we think, well, what else is glorious? And our eyes end up on us, <laughs> right? In a phone looking backward. Yeah, that's the end. 
all of this technology, all of this wisdom, all of the history of mankind's development, it's all come to this moment, switch to selfie cam. That's it. That's what we've, that's what we've concluded is the greatest glory. And in seeking our own glory, we find the woundedness of so much that we pursue. We find the brokenness of relationships. We find the fracturing of the universe. We find that we have taken everything and we say that it terminates on me. And by doing so, we break everything that God made, which is supposed to terminate on him. And so we know that this true story <clears throat> of how we are created by God to seek his glory ultimately ends up broken in that we seek glory for the wrong things instead of seeking the glory of God. But thankfully, the gospel does not end with the bad news of us, right? The gospel continues with the good news of God's grace in which we are being restored to him. We know, and we've talked about this in this series, that God has pursued to the extent of costing his own life, he has pursued reconciliation with his fallen creatures. God has said that those who are made for my glory and seek their own glory, that that is not okay with him because he knows that that seeking of our own glory will lead us further and further and further from him. And so Jesus is the sent mission missionary, uh, God's own sent missionary to pursue a lost humanity. And we see that in Christ, in his life, that he pursued all of those who thought they had no chance with God. That everyone who was told by the religion around them, you don't deserve to have God look at you. You don't deserve to have God listen to you when you pray. You don't deserve to worship God or come close to God in the temple. You don't deserve the right to know God. All of those people are the people that Jesus sought after to let you and me know that he is seeking after us, that he has pursued us, and that that pursuit cost him his own life. The gospel is this good news of God's grace to us in the fact that he pursued us at a cost to his own life. All the while that Jesus lived, he knew that the rejection was coming, and all the while that he was dying, he knew that it was for those that had already rejected God. We know that God's love has been sent out to us before we even considered him. This is the greatness of God, that while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. Rarely is one willing to die for another, but definitely not for someone who's an enemy. But that's what God has done. And in this beautiful gospel, we see that the work is done, right? This isn't religion which tells you to clean yourself up. This isn't religion which says you've got to get it right before you can come to God. This isn't religion that says uh, there's a bad side of God and a good side of God, and it's up to you to get on the good side of God, because otherwise if you're on the bad side, you're toast. That's, that's what religion says. The gospel says that God has removed the sides by presenting himself to us in Jesus and that he has done the work to reconcile us to God so that we don't have to work anymore. The beauty of the gospel is a finished work. It's a completed task. It's something that's been done for us that leads us towards life in Jesus. Religion tells us to keep on working. Buddha's own final words were strive continuously. And Jesus' final words were it is finished. The beauty of a work that's been done for us that we can walk into by faith knowing that God has done the work. And the beauty of the gospel story is that it doesn't end with individualism. America would like to tell you that, that the gospel is all about you as an individual. But the gospel is really about the greater cosmic story of what God is doing to restore a fractured universe. That God is actually after making all things new. And that he's begun that work now through us, his church, and that he will continue that work in all time and in all places. That finally we will see that God's work to restore the world has been done through his own activity. But the thing about gospel doctrine is that it isn't just simply out there in the air existing, but that it actually has implications on us as a people, as a community, that it, it drills down into our life and it makes impact on who we are and how we conduct ourselves. Ray Ortland wrote a tremendous book just simply called The Gospel. It talks about uh, a lot of what we've been talking about today. 
And in there, this quote says uh, that the gospel does not hang in midair as an abstraction. By the power of God, the gospel creates something new in the world today. It creates not just a new community, but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches, then, are living proof that the good news is true, that Jesus is not a theory, but is real, as he gives back to us our humanness. It is doctrine and culture, words and deeds. Such a church makes visible the restored humanity uh, only Christ can give. So we as a church are after more than merely hearing doctrine and memorizing verses and getting phrases and believing tenets. We as a people are about being transformed by these truths so that we can become a new kind of community that is being restored to how God made us to be as a testimony to God's work in the world. Right? We're not a people merely sitting here and hearing the gospel told to them again and again, but we are a people who are beginning to believe it and then actually being shaped by it. That there comes a time when we move just simply from theory into actual practice. Now, I said a couple of months ago after my dad passed away that you're going to have to put, away, put up with a lot, a lot of dad stories, and that's true today because when I think of the work that the gospel does, one of the first things that pops into my mind is the work I used to do with my dad. Uh, my dad was a carpenter and contractor, and one of the things he would do is a lot of uh, remodeling uh, or renovating homes. And there was a couple of summers where I worked with him all summer long, and one of my favorite summers we did a couple of attic conversions. Um, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in Florida because of how hot it is, but up where I'm from in Minnesota, it, it makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Um, so my dad and I were doing a couple of attic uh, conversions this one summer. And so basically we, were, we would walk into this house and we would kind of crawl up that small little staircase that leads to the attic and push open that you know, hard door to get up to the top. And then you walk in and everywhere you go, you have to kind of watch your head because of the angle of the roof and not hit your head against the beams. And my dad laid out plans for this attic to be built. And uh, in the midst of the, the plans for the attic, he, he added in these things called dormers. And a dormer is basically where you take kind of the A-frame part of the roof and you pitch it out a little bit so that you can put a wall out further away from the middle point of the attic and basically create a room. And so we had been inside kind of basically cleaning up the attic. We'd been doubling up a bunch of the insulation and laying down some plywood. Uh, but there came a moment where the renovation had to move forward towards a hole in the roof. And it was a significant moment. I mean, it was the middle of summer, so the weather was decent. It gets nice in Minnesota. Um, and we got to this point where basically we climbed up on the roof with gigantic saws, and we just cut a huge hole in the roof. And it was like, all right, man, now we got to do it, right? Like we'd been cleaning up the attic a little bit, putting down some stuff, but now there's a hole in the roof. And if we don't keep doing this work, we're toast. We've got to finish what we've started. All of the drawings and all of the plans, even the insulating and everything at that point had kind of just been theory. By the time we put a hole in the roof, though, there was no turning back. If you're not familiar with construction, no roof equals bad. <laughs> and so when the roof was cut away, the project went from the process of thinking that we were making a bedroom into actually becoming a bedroom. At that moment, the room actually changed and began its journey towards being made new. Gospel doctrine and gospel practice is similar to this, where we can talk about what Jesus does, we can talk about what he has done, but there comes a moment where you cut a hole in the roof. There comes a moment when you expose your life to the elements and you say, okay, is Jesus enough? Okay, is Jesus really going to make this mess new? Okay, is Jesus genuinely going to protect me? Is he going to cover me? Is he going to wash away my sins? And is he going to actually bring transformation to this room that needs significant change? It's called repentance. It's where you move from thinking that the gospel is good news to knowing that the gospel is good news. It's that moment where you open your life to Jesus and you say, I'm going to admit the mess. I'm going to own what's broken here. 
I'm going to expose myself to you and show you that I know what's broken, that I'm aware of what's wrong, and I'm going to trust that you know what it takes to cover over an open hole in the roof, that you know how to make that work done. So everything is laid bare at that moment, and you're yearning because what is opened longs to be covered. In the, comp- in the incompleteness of your own works, you're led to a moment where you have to look to the completeness of Jesus' work. And the beauty is that Jesus doesn't condemn us. That when we cut the hole in the roof, when we expose the sin of our hearts, the broken things that are inside of us, Jesus doesn't go, oh, oh, man, and turn away. Jesus engages us in those moments. And Jesus uses people in those moments to show us that he's not going to walk away, that he's going to dig in, that he's not going to mock and ridicule and chide us, but rather he's going to embrace us. He's going to love us, and he's going to restore us. Jesus doesn't look at what was torn up in us and consider it too much work. He's involved, and he draws near to the humble, the Bible says. And he shows you that his work is sufficient even for you. The life of Jesus proves to be the righteous work that you need in order to be made new. That he brings forgiveness and has compassion on us. And that his tender mercy does not leave us to ourselves to clean up our own mess, but rather his grace comes free of condemnation, free of judgment, and he heals the damage that's been done. And Jesus does this work through his people. That's why he is making a new kind of community. Because so many of us have seen the brokennesses of our lives exposed to others and then seen them hit the road. We've seen him run. We've seen him say, that's too much. That's too ugly. That's too broken. And I'm out. The world needs a new kind of people who have been healed by Jesus so that when they're exposed, so that when their brokennesses are laid bare, they're embraced and they're loved. And that through them, the hands of Jesus begin to heal. Paul explained this kind of people as having an aroma of Jesus Christ. It's in 2 Corinthians 2 that he talks about this. In verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Now quickly in there, there's two different kinds of people that respond to the aroma of Christ. One group of people that sees it as death and another group of people that sees it as life. So we've got to understand that as we take on the characteristics of Jesus, we're going to get both punched and embraced. And that's a part of it because the world doesn't welcome this message because this message is you're broken and you're not the solution for yourself. That's the aroma of Jesus. And some people will not accept that. And so we'll get the, the, the rejection. But what's beautiful is that this aroma is from life to life for those who would believe. And so if the gospel is true, if it's more than just simply doctrines and statements of Jesus' life and truth about who he is, it will manifest itself through us as it creates an aroma that leads people to see the beauty of Jesus. In the midst of this kind of environment, a culture that, that, that is actually being transformed by the gospel, people are free to be themselves. It's felt in the air. I believe Jesus is making it happen right here and right now that there is a sense that it's okay to be here even if I'm a mess that it's okay to sit amongst these people because they're admitting that they too are messes. And so I can come in here with all my mess and understand there's hope even for me because there's hope for that guy next to me and that girl over there and the fool up top speaking, up front speaking. There's, there's hope here. I know I can come here with all of my warts and all of my bumps and all of my woundedness and I can let the roof be cut open because I know there's acceptance here. In the midst of this type of a place, there's an ability to wrestle with doubts and fears. 
There's a vulnerability that says, I don't know if I get all this. I don't know if I know what it all means. In fact, some of it I think makes me mad. I'm not quite sure, but maybe. And, 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 and there's moments for that, that fighting and that wrestling, even the internal turmoil. The ultimate hope is that people would be able to ask honest questions and receive honest answers. Not pat Christian answers that are all clean and perfect and I know everything, but ones that are willing to say, I don't always know. I'm still figuring that out myself. I know somewhere in Scripture there's, there's truth for this moment, but man, I've, I've struggled to believe it myself. All of this happens because God has been tender to us in our moments of frailty. We have come to find a gracious, compassionate God who's slow to anger and abounding in love. And when we've been impacted by that kind of love, it softens us to be the kind of people that God loves others through. The hope is that people would be genuinely loved in a place like this. All while they witness the beauty of love that this new kind of community is being created into by Christ's work. Francis Schaeffer says this, if we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth that we proclaim. There's a need to see real beauty in a community like this. The world wants to see it, right? Often the world reacts against the church when it doesn't see the kind of love that we ourselves say exists here. We proclaim it. Our Savior Jesus has said, if you want to see me, look at my church. And then they roll in and they're like, wait a minute. What happened with all the hypocrites and the jerks and the people who are judging every single step I take? I haven't even proclaimed to follow Jesus yet and they don't even like me. Right? That can't be the kind of environment. That's not a gospel environment. While there may be gospel truth in a church like that, it hasn't filtered itself down into the everyday life of the people that are a part of it. And so our hope is that God would make us into this beautiful example of the love that he's shown. That this gospel culture coinciding with gospel doctrine would create an environment where truth is more than mere proposition, but that it is restorative and transformational. That truth is actually experienced as refreshment for weary, tired souls. Again, from Jude, verse 20 to 23, says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This call to mercy is a call that the church needs to heed. Have mercy on those who doubt. Did Jesus have mercy on you in your doubt? Yes, he did. Have that same mercy for those who doubt. Mingle that mercy with fear. What does that mean? It means keep a watch on your own soul, knowing that your propensity is to look inward and rather than to look upward to Jesus for solutions and be aware, be aware of that own tendency in you. Be aware of how deep sometimes the sin and the darkness goes in yourself. Just be aware of it. Be humble about it. But yet, pursue others, seeking that they would know the truth of Jesus that would snatch them from the fire. And the thing about this reality is that it does not come quickly. That healing is not overnight. That restoration work is not an in and out situation. It's not outpatient surgery, folks, right? It is digging in. It is putting up tarps. It is uh, building uh, ladders and, and infrastructure in order to hold up those who are doing the construction work. It takes time. And we have to build a culture based in the gospel of Jesus Christ that says it's okay to take time. It's okay to be a work in progress. I am, and Jesus keeps telling me I'm forgiven, and Jesus keeps telling me that I'm his. God the Father keeps assuring me that I've been adopted into his family, even though sometimes I'm living like I don't belong. Jesus has had that compassion toward me. We ought to have that compassion towards others. Knowing this, Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so as we seek to understand gospel truth and see it seep down and create an actual culture of love and compassion and mercy and, and, and allowing people to be themselves and to wrestle with their doubts and to be uh, uh, embraced rather than rejected, as we do this, there has to be an environment that is free of pressure. There has to be an environment that says you don't have to perform here. You can be yourself here and let Jesus do the work. There's no self-imposed pressure or deadlines on growth here. The hope is that there will be a lot of room for people with a lot of wounds to have a lot of time to see the healer bring healing into their heart and in their life. Ultimately, this is tied to a great hope that we have, and that is that God himself is keeping us. It's in Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. There's a command in here both to keep yourself and then to look to God who keeps you. It's work and rest. It's this beautiful dichotomy. It's these things that come together. It seems like they don't fit, but in the gospel they do, that we actually join God in his work, but that God does the work. It's amazing. It's just like Daniel's life, right? We see that he was given special gifts to interpret these dreams, and what did he have to do? He had to step up and speak. He had to step forward and put himself out there. It was glorious because God was faithful to give Daniel the ability to do the thing. Daniel just simply stepped into the moment. And so we know that we pursue God and seek to keep ourselves in his truth, but that God is the one who is keeping us. He's doing the rescuing. He is doing the healing. And it is through us that we get to see him do this, not only in our lives as a church, but in the city that we live in. And so our great hope is that we would see gospel doctrine embed itself as the center reality of what we seek to know and to learn and to grow in, but that it would be far more than simply words, but it would seep into our souls and transform the very fabric of who we are so that we become the healing hands and feet of Jesus in our city, in this place, and in this time, because we know the greatest thing that anybody needs in this place is to meet Jesus, this healer. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for the healing you've brought to us. Lord, we are in awe of the fact that you have loved us and that you continue to love us and that you've promised to forever love us. There is great hope in that reality, God, because it seems like at every turn we're discovering a new moment where we struggle. We're discovering a new moment where we have a hard time believing. But God, you are abounding in compassion toward us, that you are slow to anger, that you are rich in mercy toward us that we, though we've been exposed for who we really are, though the, the truth of our life has come to light, you have not turned away from us. You have not rejected us. You have not stood back and said, oh my goodness, that's too much work, but rather you've embraced us. You've loved us. And you're building a people who have been loved like that so that we can be used by you to love others around us. God, thank you. We pray that you would make these realities more and more true for us. And that, God, as we stumble along the way, that we would receive the grace that's already ours and that we would give grace to one another and that we would lead a life that says there's room here and there's time here. There's no pressure here. Let God do his work here. We yearn for that, God. We know many need it. We ourselves need it. And so we ask that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen.